Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench the, all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Lord, we pray that you'd help us as we once again look at this subject of the importance of prayer. It's well, it's brought to our attention in this passage, and the ought certainly comes through as we read these verses, realizing the battle, the struggle, the spiritual warfare that we're involved in in this life. We can't see it, it's invisible, but at the same time, there's many things that we do see that make it rather obvious that the struggle is very real. And so I pray that you'd help us, Lord, not just to know these things, but to take these and make these practices, put these to practice, to regular use. doesn't do us any good, Lord, to take these things and just be able to spit them out through a verse memorized. What it does is we need to take this and put this into practice on a daily and throughout the daily basis. So God, help us, I pray. Give us all eyes to see. Give us hearts that really desire to be prayer warriors. We all need to be. We're all in this battle together. We all face the enemy ourselves. And so help us, we pray. We don't want to be casualties. We want to be victors. You've made it so we can be. Thank you for this wonderful vehicle we call prayer. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Aren't you glad that you can go directly to the Lord in prayer? Aren't you glad that you don't have to go through me? Aren't you glad that you can... You can, uh, you can take time, any place you are, in your car, in your home, in the quietness of your study, um, in the midst of your need, anytime, anywhere, you can pray to God and you can let God know how much you need Him. We sang this song, song, song Lord, I Need You, and that needs to be something that we never lose sight of, our, our dire need of the Lord. And so, um, so as we looked at this message on this morning, um, we looked at several aspects of this thing, um, the importance of prayer. We talked about this verse here, praying always with all, uh, it says, with all prayer, supplication of spirit, washing thereunto with all perseverance. That's the persistence, supplication for all the saints. We talked about how this means at all times, all different kinds of prayer. Pray as the Holy Spirit of God directs you, and He will. He wants to. He's, he's there and lives within you so that He can do that. And watching us, this idea of being alert, being vigilant in this area of prayer, with all perseverance, persistence, not giving up. We're very prone to give up because we don't see immediate results, and yet God, 
God does things in his timetable, and his timetable is not our timetable. We like things done immediately, and God sometimes stretches it out because God's achieving more than one thing at a time. Um, rarely do you see God just do one thing at a time. Usually he's, 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 he's remedying many situations at a time, and, so, and, and, and God's an all-wise God. Supplication is that humble, earnest request. It's not just a flippant mentioning. It's a it's we're coming humbly before the Lord and we're requesting. We're coming humbly because it's not our will that needs to be done. It's His will and we want to make sure we're asking Him for His will to be done. And so the humility that needs to be involved in there. But we're making an earnest request. We're sincere about what we're saying. We're sincere about what we're asking the Lord to do. And, and we need to come with that spirit. And for all believers, for all saints, all the saints of God, everybody that you know is a believer in Jesus Christ, we all are brothers and sisters in Christ. We're all in this kingdom of God, and it's bigger than we understand. And so uh, the cause of Christ is bigger than any of us. It's not our kingdom, it's his kingdom. And we need to constantly be looking to further the kingdom of the Lord. And so, um, so why is it so important to pray? Well, because it's clearly commanded in the Bible. We have several verses that point that out to us. The text verse that we use, I mean, Ephesians 6, 18 makes it apparent that we need to pray. Jesus says that uh, he spake a parable that men ought always to pray and not to faint. Jesus Christ made a pretty clear statement right there. Why it's so clear in the Bible that we all sh should pray. Pray without ceasing. Then we said, secondly, we should pray because there is a devil. Again, this context, this verse, Ephesians 6, 18, is set in the context of spiritual warfare. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness in the world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And I think, you know, all of us, I think, are seeing this come clearly, more clearly, okay, we're seeing the, the, the reality of the spiritual wickedness in high places as we look at some of the things that are taking place in our country these days. Decisions that are being made. Um, it's crazy, you know. Why is our government supplying Hamas with the, uh, uh, with, uh, well, supplying Iran or with the, the stuff to supply Hamas to bomb Israel, and then we say we're a, 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 a we're Israel's um, ally. You know, it's crazy, you know what I mean? But, uh, but you see, the, devil's, the devil knows what's going on here, and he's working all these things. It's a sad thing. So we're supposed to put on the whole armor of God. That, in order that, we should withstand the wiles of the devil. Peter says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Peter knew this firsthand. I mean, he, he was warned of the Lord that this is what the devil is going to do. He didn't believe it. He thought he could stand on his own, but he found out within 12 hours that he could not. And so, um, and then we see the, book, uh, the verse there in, uh, in, in Luke where Jesus pointed that out to him. And again, Satan can't keep God from answering our prayers, but he often has a hand in keeping us from praying. Boy, I tell you what, he can make things come up, change your schedule. He, you know, how many of you ever started praying and all of a sudden your mind started wandering? How many of that happened before? How many ever started praying and all of a sudden your to-do list, all of a sudden you're starting to have all these things come to your mind about your to-do list? Well, you know, I, I wonder sometimes if Satan has a, a part in, in, in that. I don't know how he works completely. But I know this, he is a powerful being and he's a spirit, he works in the spirit realm. And uh, it's amazing how our times of prayer are so easily distracted and interrupted. It's amazing. Uh, and so, nonetheless, um, that's a reality. Well, because of the prominence of prayer in the, in the, in the earthly ministry of our Lord, if Jesus Christ had to pray, <laughs> it, it should behoove us to know that we need to pray. Uh, and Jesus Christ, uh, on a number of occasions in the scriptures, we see he spent all night in prayer. He was a great while before day just so that he can spend time with the Father. If Jesus needed that time, oh my soul, do we not need that time? And then we talked about number four, 
that uh, godly men in the Bible place the importance of prayer. We see Samuel, we see David, we see uh, Peter and the apostles, we see uh, Paul, and of course there's others. There's Daniel, there's Jeremiah, there's Mordecai, there's Esther. I mean, you can go on and on. Again, we said that there are 650 different prayers mentioned in the Scripture, 450 answers to prayer in the Scriptures. And so it's, it's, this is not an isolated situation. There's many, many illustrations of people throughout the Scriptures that prayed, needed to pray. God answered their prayers and God leaves that for a testimony to us to see that he, uh, what he has done. Remember, he's the same yesterday, today, forever. If he wanted to spare believers back in the days gone by, he wants to spare believers today too. If he wants to aid and strengthen believers back in the days gone by, he wants to strengthen us too. And so we need to realize that God is for us, not against us, and he still wants to answer our prayers, and we are still as needy as Peter and James and John and Daniel in the lion's den and all the different people that you read about in the scriptures and have read about, we are just as needy and need God's deliverance like they did. And then we talked about number five, godly men in more recent days. We mentioned George Mueller, Hudson Taylor, Charles Spurgeon, E.M. Bounds, D.L. Moody, John R. Rice, A.W. Tozier, Lester Roloff, Adrian Rogers, and the list can go on and on and on and on. Again, we gave you several quotes from them, and uh, I'm just going to cycle through these real quick because I uh, just want to get on with tonight's uh, message here. And so, again, all these men here giving us very strong instructions and admonitions about why it is important for us as believers to pray. And so, uh, again, we had this review here, so I'm going to move on to this thing here. So it's just reviewing these ones here. So uh, then we come to point number six tonight, and so that is prayer is a way to advance the work of God on earth. All right, again, we're talking about, okay, this morning we talked about the commands. We, 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 have, the, we have the illustrations of people in the scripture, people in history that have prayed, and uh, so we had the examples and the commands that are clearly given to us here. But what we see here, and I'm going to want to kind of concentrate tonight, is some of the benefits that we ourselves can realize as we pray. And so uh, Acts chapter 4 verse 31. It says, And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. Why did that happen? It happened in response to the prayers of God's people. When God's people prayed, the work of the Lord went forward. You know that happened back then? Do you know that was a model for us today? When the, God's people pray, the work of God goes forward. And God wants His people to pray. Um, what's our problem today in this, in this country? I'll tell you what the problem is. It's not so much the, the government. The problem is the churches. The problem is the people of God. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, then will I heal from he hear, from he hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. He is talking to the people of God. He's, we don't expect the unbelievers to come to God and fall on their faces and pray. They don't even have a relationship with God. They haven't been reconciled to God. But we have. And so we are the key, you see. So we don't want to just sit there and say it's the White House, it's the State House, it's the Government House, it's, you know, it's, it's over here on, on Pennsylvania Avenue. No, no, I agree that they're making foolish choices and foolish decisions, but the truth of the matter is it's the church house. It's the people of God who have the responsibility to bring, you see, to bring God's work here and see God's work done. And, uh, and I think in many, many cases they're sitting in the camp, and so consequently we are shortchanging. Uh, we are uh, selling ourselves down the river with, uh, with uh, things that are not in, 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 the, in the realm of what God wants done on the planet Earth. So God's people need to get 
gets strengthened. And so we see this in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 6, verse 4. Well, actually, you know, you go to Acts chapter 1, verse 14, you see the apostles. They had to choose an apostle. They, how did they do that? They met together and they prayed. And you see in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, they continued steadfastly in prayer. You see Acts chapter 4, verse number 31. We read that right here. Prayers and the people uh, were filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 6, verses 4 and 6, it talks about prayer and the deacons were chosen. In Acts chapter 9, verse 40, Peter prayed and Tabitha came back to life. In Acts chapter 10 and 11, we see prayer and Cornelius gets saved, the Gentile. And the Gentile world is literally opened up to the apostles and Peter is uh, acknowledging the fact that that's taking place. In Acts chapter 12, you see prayer gets Peter out of prison. Miraculously, Peter's in prison. They're over there praying. And what happens? Peter, I mean, miraculously gets out of prison. He has 16 people guarding him and they're all fast asleep and God literally opens all the doors, lets Peter out. Peter thought it was a dream. It wasn't a dream. It was the answers to prayer. God did a miracle. Peter goes knocking on the door where the folks are praying for him and old Dorcas, I think it was Dorcas, she comes to the door and she said, who's it? Rhoda, that's Rhoda. She comes to the door and she recognizes Peter's voice and she runs back and says, Peter's here. She says, no way Peter's here. We're praying for him. He's in prison. No, no, no. He's here. Yeah. They couldn't believe it, you know. They prayed, and God answered their prayer, and they were just completely taken by it. Acts chapter 13, we see prayer, and Paul and Silas were sent on the first missionary journey. And all and over and over, you see the work of God progressing through the vehicle of prayer in the, the New Testament here. And so, um, uh, but you know, that wasn't it. You know, that wasn't all. You know, we can go to modern history, we can see that in, uh, back in... Um, in 1857, a fellow named Jeremiah Lanfear. What's his name? Jeremiah Anybody know who Jeremiah Lanfear is? Jeremiah Lanfear was a, was a businessman in New York. Jeremiah Lanfear saw the conditions of his country, his city, and he decided he was going to start a prayer meeting. So Jeremiah, on September of 1857, started a prayer meeting on Fulton Street in New York City and began praying. He got together. It was just him and four people. But that prayer meeting doubled and then tripled and then grew. And then he filled the, and they were just praying from 12 o'clock noon because what happened was they had a lunch hour and everybody had that free lunch hour. So he invited these different people to pray just for their lunch hour. He says, come whatever time you can. Come 10 minutes, come 20 minutes, come 30 minutes or pray the whole hour. And so he got people to pray. Literally that prayer meeting grew and multiplied, not just throughout New York City, but throughout other states and so other cities in our country. As a result of it was the, the revival that took place in 1857 to 1859. And, and uh, J. Edwin Orr, who was a revival historian, said as a result of that prayer meeting, that prayer meeting, one million people were swept into the kingdom of God. Now you have to understand, that's when our country's population back then was only 30 million people. So you talk about a huge impact. In, in, in our country, that many people getting saved with that population at that level right there, it made a huge impact in, in our country. And you know what that was what? It was right prior to the Civil War. God swept a great number of people into the kingdom before the Civil War. And how many people were killed in the Civil War? It was a horrible, bloody war that took a toll on our people. But many were swept into the kingdom prior to that in 1859. Uh, 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 of course, the Civil War in 1860. And so, you see, uh, God has a wonderful way of doing stuff like that. Uh, how about uh, a small cottage on the roadside in a village called Barvis? 
There was two little old ladies. They were sisters, Peggy and Christine Smith. 84 and 82 years of age. They were crippled. One was blind and the other one had arthritis and she was bent over and crippled. And so they met in their little cottage and they began to pray for their area. They prayed for revival in their area. And they prayed and God brought an amazing work. They were unable to attend the services, but they prayed and God sent what we know as the, the revival on the island of Lewis over there in the area of Scotland. Literally, just an amazing revival that took place there. It took place there between 1949 and 1952. Many swept into the kingdom. Some have gone back, and they've seen like 80% of the people who got saved were still in the church as a result of that revival a number of years later. And so, how did this all start? Two little old ladies got together, and they couldn't get out, but they could they could pray. And that wonderful revival came on the heels of prayer. And I told you this morning about Father Nash and, and the Finney revivals. And, and there's so many examples. You see so many revivals and major moves of God were predicated by somebody praying. And a lot of times we don't know who those somebodies were. They could be someplace in some cottage, some, some uh, 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 backwoods place where somebody just got a burden for their city, for their country, for, for their town, and they just began to pray. And now I want to tell you something, folks. Your prayers can make a difference. And these old ladies, you know, they couldn't get up, but they could, they could spend time with God, and they could ask God to do what only God can do. And so prayer is a way, is the way to advance the work of God on earth. Well, we come to another point right here, and that is prayer is a means by which we obtain God's mercy and His grace. Now, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, a wonderful verse, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace. Now, we can come boldly unto the throne of grace because Jesus made the, the, the door wide open, amen? When Jesus Christ died on the cross, we know what happened in the Holy of Holies, don't we? The, the, the veil was rent in two, and it was rent from the top to the bottom, meaning God was the one who opened the veil. Now, before that, the only person that could go into the Holy of Holies, that place of special uh, uh, interaction with God and man, was the high priest. But see, what happened was, is when, that, when, that, uh, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, Jesus Christ made it so that we as believers can come before God because we're accepted in the Beloved, and the Beloved is the Lord Jesus Christ. And we can personally come to Jesus Christ, come to God in prayer, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The veil was rent in two, and we have free access. And it says here in Hebrews, we're to come boldly. That's a pretty, that's a, that it almost sounds presumptuous, doesn't it? For us to come boldly to the throne of grace and to the, and to the throne where God would hear our voices. Come boldly to the throne of grace, he says. Why? Uh, that we may obtain mercy. That in order that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Isn't that a wonderful verse? Isn't that a wonderful invitation for us as believers to come to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace in our time of need? Well, Luke chapter 18, verse 13. There was a publican who came to God, and the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Don't we all need mercy? Aren't you glad that there's mercy with the Lord? 
How many of you deserve salvation? Anybody here? No. God was merciful when he spared your soul. God was merciful when he saved you. God was merciful when he saved this old publican. God was merciful when he saved you. Don't just think that you have to be the low of the low for God to be merciful. No, the truth of the matter is God was merciful in saving every single one of us. The mercies of God. Hallelujah for the mercies of God. Joel chapter 2 verse 13, it says, Rend your heart and not your garments. You know, he was talking about fasting, you know, and people, they, they, they want to go before God. They want to do the outward things, you know what I mean, that look like that they're, they're turning to God. They rend their garments, and it looks like that they're, they're uh, uh, distraught about their spiritual condition. And yet he says, no, it's not your garments that I want to see rent. It's your heart. God wants our hearts and he says, and turn unto the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repenteth him of the evil. There were horrible conditions back in Joel's day. And he prophesied of the need for the children of Israel to turn to God. And don't just do the outward signs, the dust upon the head and the rending of the garments. No, no, no. Your heart needs to come to God. And God will be merciful. God is more than willing to be merciful to you. He's a great God. He's a gracious God. He's a merciful God. He's slow to anger, of great kindness. That's the characteristic of our God. But He's not, he's not playing games. And we, not, we, not, we, sh we should not play religious games and think that God doesn't understand what's going on. God wants us to pray with all of our hearts, soul, mind, and strength. He wants our hearts to be in it. He doesn't want us to just do the outward things and show up at things to make it look like we're spiritual. God wants our hearts to be sincere and not presumptuous. God wants our hearts to be convinced and convicted of how we need to turn to Him. So God is merciful to save. Amen? God is merciful to forgive you of your sins. Not just the sins that you've been forgiven of at salvation, but the sins you've been forgiven or need to be forgiven of since salvation. You see, if we confess our sins, He is, what? Faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from what? Well, God, see, God wants you to have fellowship with Him. Once you got saved, your relationship was established, but He wants you to have continual fellowship with Him. And so He invites you to come to Him over and again when, when you sin against Him. And when you know that you've done wrong or you haven't done what you should have done, God wants you to come and say, God, be merciful to me. Forgive me. I've sinned. And when you do, God's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all righteousness and to restore that fellowship to where it needs to be. And so God's mercies come even, even since we've been forgiven of our sin debt so that we've been forgiven even in the midst of our walking with God. We want to be forgiven of the things that we've done wrong in the process of growing in grace. We need forgiveness there too. And God's grace, God's merciful to forgive us. God's merciful to bless us. You realize God doesn't have to bless you. God's merciful in, in blessing you. Thank the Lord for his blessing. God's merciful to heal us. You know, some people didn't make it through the COVID thing. How many of you had it? A number of you. You know, that was the mercy of God that you had it and you're still here. A lot of people had it and they didn't make it. But you're still here. That's the mercies of God. God was merciful to you. 
You know, in Matthew chapter 15, verse 22, and it says, And behold, a woman of Canaan came out the same coast and cried unto him, meaning Jesus, saying, Have mercy on me. How many times in the scripture when you saw people had some kind of disease and they came to Jesus, they asked for Jesus to be merciful to them. Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. In this particular case, she says, My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. God, my daughter is possessed by a devil. Be merciful. Please heal her of this horrible vexation that she has of an evil spirit, of, a, of an unclean spirit. Matthew chapter 17, verse 15. Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic and sore vexed. For oftentimes he falleth into the fire and oftentimes into the water. We come to God and we ask him to be merciful to those we love. And God has mercy on us. Matthew chapter 20, verse 30, And behold, two blind men were sitting by the wayside, and when they heard that Jesus passed by, they cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord! So God has mercy on those we love. God has mercy on us ourselves to heal us, to forgive us, to save us, to bless us, these are the mercies of God. We don't deserve these things. These are the wonderful mercies of God. And God gives those to those who are, listen, if they had never cried out, if they had never asked, they wouldn't have been recipients of this wonderful mercy. Listen to what the verse says. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy. Do you think these just came automatically? According to this verse, there was a request. And the request was met with the merciful deliverance of God. How many times do we know people who need to be mercifully delivered of God? Well, the condition according to this verse is if we need to make the request. You've got to make the request. You come, you're invited to come boldly to the throne of grace. It says right here, that we may obtain. So that in order that we may obtain. Remember what God said? You have not because what? You ask not. I wonder how many of the mercies of God have been foregone. In our lives personally, and perhaps even in the lives of people that we know, because we simply have not asked. We haven't come to God. We haven't gone boldly to the throne of grace. For whatever reason, we thought God wouldn't do such a thing. We, mean, we thought our situation or our need or somebody else's need was beyond God's fixing or God's ability to remedy. But it says here, what do you get out of this verse? That we may obtain mercy and Find grace to help in time of need. I see an invitation, but I see a condition. And the condition is we come boldly. And then God, in order that, God would be merciful and, and, and give us the things that we need. And so God's mercy is anew, the Bible says, every morning. Amen? Amen. So evidently there's more for us to get. Every day. Every day. How many of you need to be forgiven just once? How many of you need it daily? You see what I mean? Uh, his mercies are new every morning. Great is His faithfulness. Aren't you glad about that? God wants to be merciful to us, but we need to come to Him and ask Him to be merciful and forgive us and heal us and all the things here that we see are, are ways that we can obtain this mercy and find grace in, in our time of need. And so... God's grace is needed for all the work that he does. 
If you look at the word grace, now I'm not going on a study of grace. I'm just went through, I was going through the scriptures of the New Testament where grace was mentioned. And I see that we need grace to be saved. I, I find out that we need grace when we're called. I find that we need grace for the spiritual gifts to be given. I see that we need grace so that we can give properly. I find that we need grace so that we can speak as we need to speak. Uh, grace is bestowed upon individuals. The Bible says grace is actually bestowed upon churches. It tells us that grace is spoken of as abundant. It tells us that grace is spoken of as sufficient. It tells us that we are told about the riches of His grace. I wonder if we're settling for the poverty when we could have the riches of His grace. I, th I guess if you don't ask for much and you don't get much, and then you might think that God's a stingy. God is not stingy. Perhaps the problem is, is we're just not asking God for the things we should be asking Him for. If He's got the riches of grace and the riches of mercy, and we seem to be getting nothing, maybe the problem is not God. Maybe the problem is we're just not trusting God and asking Him for enough. But the Bible says God gives grace to the who? Humble. To the humble. That means you need to humble yourself in the sight of God, but God delights in giving grace to those who will humble themselves and come with the spirit of humility. Because before grace comes humility. And so those are just some of the things that we see about the grace of God. And yet here we see that if we go to God in prayer and come boldly before the throne of grace, that we can obtain Grace and mercy. Isn't that a wonderful benefit from the hand of God? I wonder if we're shortchanging ourselves. I wonder if we're just not asking God for enough. Now listen, I'm not talking about this name it, claim it stuff. These folks that get out here and, and basically, you know, they want a Rolls Royce, name it, claim it. They want $100,000 in a bank account, name it, claim it. They want a, you know, golden uh, toilet bowl, you know, name it, claim it. No, 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 I'm not talking about that to consume it upon your lust. I'm talking about we have real needs that have eternal consequence and we need to come to God with those real needs of eternal consequence and we need to come and ask God for these things. Now, at the same time, we're coming before Him, we're, we're seeking His will, we're, hum we're not coming so that our will is done, we're coming because we sincerely want His will to be done. But we know God is not willing that any should perish, but all that should come with repentance. We know that's true. So you can ask for any soul on earth to be saved. Because God is not willing that anyone should perish. So you can come before God and you can ask God for that kind of thing because you know that is within the will of God. And so that's why you read the Word. So you see the heart of God and then you, break, you, you come and take the Word of God and pray it back to the heart of God so that you can see that God's will performed before you. That's why it's so important for you to know what the Word says so that you know the Spirit of God in the matter. And if it doesn't come out exactly like you think it should, well, don't blame it on God. Realize that God's an all-wise God and His ways are higher than your ways. His thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And maybe He's achieving something that you just don't understand. But if you just keep on praying, He does a couple things. Number one, He will refine your prayer. Sometimes you will realize over the course of time that your prayer had an element of selfishness in it. You were wanting it for your will to be done. You were wanting it for your betterment. And you didn't realize that God had something much better and much more valuable for you. Lazarus, remember Mary and Martha, they wanted Lazarus to be healed. So they called for Jesus to come heal their brother. What did Jesus do? He tarried. He waited. And then what happened to Lazarus? He died. Did Mary and Martha initially understand that? No. What did they think? 
Lord, if you had been here, he would not have died. But what did Jesus know that Mary and Martha didn't know? That he's the resurrection and the life, and he that believeth in him, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Where did God receive more glory? If he had came real quick and healed Lazarus, or if he waited four days and raised Lazarus from the dead? Where did God get more glory? Where was God's power demonstrated in greater fashion? Obvious, obviously, it was in a way that Mary and Martha never would have thought. And I wonder how many things God wants to do in your life and in the life of your loved ones and the situations that you're facing that is more glorious than you can think of, that has more impact on the kingdom of God than you can ever imagine. Remember, God's ways are higher than your ways. His thoughts are higher than your thoughts. So he's got things figured that you haven't even, it's not even on your map. And so don't turn on God and don't accuse God because something didn't necessarily turn out exactly the way you thought it should turn out or when you thought it should happen. And don't give up praying just because things didn't happen in your time element. Maybe what you wished had happened in a month, God plans on happening in three years. Oh, how can I wait? Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. He shall strengthen thine heart. You say, well, that's hard. Well, that's why you need God. Because see, God does things that are beyond your human potential and your human capacity. If you can explain everything through your own human abilities and your own human capacities, well, where do you need God? So God has to take you outside of those capacities. He has to take you outside of those abilities so he can demonstrate his ability. And then he gets the glory and you don't. And that's what it's all about. It's about his kingdom, his glory, not our kingdom and our glory and our betterment and our convenience. Now, I guarantee you, though, if you let God's will be done, you will be bettered before because of it. But you just might not be bettered in the way you thought you would be bettered. And that's okay. Because God's an all-wise God. Amen? All right. Number eight, prayer is God's appointed way of obtaining things. Obtaining things. Things. Now, Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11 says, Ask and it shall be given, seek and you shall find, knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. And uh, so, um, well, let me just read the rest of this passage to verse number 11 there, because I think it's worthy of our, I didn't have a place to, to fit it in there, so uh, I'll just read it to you here. So, and it goes on to say, for, uh, or what man is there of you of whom, if his son asks bread, will he give him a stone? In other words, is this how you work? I mean, if your son asks you for some bread, do you give him a rock? No, obviously no, you don't do that. Um, or if he asks a fish that you give him a serpent, you give him a snake. No, that's not the way we do it. We're not trying to play tricks with, uh, you know, our kids. No, not doing that. He says, if ye then being evil know how to give good gifts unto you, your children. In other words, you wouldn't pull a prank like that on your kids, right? You know, they ask for bread and you give them a rock. Or they ask for a fish and you give them a serpent. You, you, you wouldn't do that with your kids and you're evil. Okay, so he says, if, if you wouldn't do that being evil, then consider the fact that God, who is all good, 
consider he's got something much better in mind. And it goes on to say, he says, how much more shall your Father, who is perfect and perfectly good, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask him? So, so God wants to give good things. Now, sometimes we ask for things that are not good for us. How many of your kids ever asked you for something that wasn't good for them? Has that ever happened to you before? Parents, yes. Okay. And so what do you say as a wise parent? No. Or maybe not now. Okay. You're a wise parent. You understand this is not time for you to have such a thing. I never, my son Michael, he wanted a 22 rifle. Okay. And so, you know, his brother had one. His brother was very responsible. Okay, Michael? He was a little more experimental with this thing of firearms, okay? And at one time, he just wanted to see what happened if you took a bullet and put it in the end of the rifle here and then shot one into it. Uh, you know what, Michael? Let's just put off the gun thing right now. I'm, I'm not even thinking BB guns are safe in your hands right now. No. Uh, so we put off the, uh, the rifle thing for him because he was not yet mature enough to have something that could travel a mile, you know what I mean, in a direction that he wasn't conscious of. And so God knows that about us. God knows what we're mature enough to handle. And so God knows that there's a time element, there's a maturity element, there's a, a wisdom element, and all those things God is well aware of. And so we might be asking for something that God might take 20 years. Do you know that George Mueller was an evangelist or tried to be an evangelist in his early ministry? He tried to go out and be an evangelist, but he just flopped. It just didn't work out. He went all over trying to get meetings, but he was unsuccessful. So he decided, you know, well, I just know orphanages are, are, are a way that we can help people, so I'll just start an orphanage. And so then George Mueller started working with kids who didn't have a home. And he built one and then built another until it turned out that over 10,000 orphans were helped through the ministry of George Mueller. And God took 40 years to take George Mueller and transform George Mueller into a man who now had a message. And then George Mueller, at the age of 68 years of age, began traveling all over the world because now he had a message to share. Moses thought he had the answer too, didn't he? We'll just take these children of Israel, we'll deliver them by just killing one Egyptian at a time. Bury them in the sand. Well, that plan didn't work very well, did it? He knew he'd been found out, and he hands off to Midian into the deserts of Midian. Guess how long God kept Moses in the desert before Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt? 40 years. The Apostle Paul, he was all gung-ho. He got saved. He was ready to just go out there and convert the whole Jewish nation. They had to let him down in a basket out of the wall of Damascus because they were ready to kill him there. Then he went to Jerusalem, and they were ready to kill him in Jerusalem because he had turned on, uh, on, the, on the hierarchy right there. Do you know that Paul the Apostle, before he was actually Paul the Apostle, he had to go back to Tarshish, and what historians say is he was probably there 10 years before Barnabas went and got him, and he went on that first missionary journey. 10 years. Where is Paul? I don't know, I haven't seen him for a while. Yeah, but Barnabas knew where he was. And so Barnabas finally went and got him in Acts chapter 13. He brought him back there to Antioch. And that's where uh, Paul taught with Barnabas there and, and some of the other ones there. And he got some maturity and he got some help and he got some, some people to help him. And then finally after a year of there in Antioch, 
God finally took Paul and Silas and put them out there, uh, Paul and Barnabas, I should say, and put them together for that first missionary journey. By the way, that took place because they prayed and they separated Paul and Barnabas for the work that they had there. We, we don't take some of those things into account, that 10 years, that 40 years, that preparation, that getting the message that needed to take place. So we think that, well, how would you think if it was you waiting 40 years? Would you think that God forgot about you? Would you think that God wasn't really interested in using you? Wouldn't it be very natural for us to think that way? And yet God knew exactly what he was doing. He knew when maturity needed to be found. He knew when humility needed to come into a person's life. Some people are really gung-ho because they think they can do it in and of their own selves. And God has to show them, no, no, without me you can do nothing. And I know right now you're excited, but the truth of the matter is you're excited about your own ability and your own ability to get the thing done. That's how Peter was. And so Jesus had to have a little humbling experience with Peter. He warned him ahead of time. But he also told him he was going to pray for him. So you see, God has this perspective. Aren't you glad? And so he can answer prayer in ways that are best for us as believers. And so don't turn on God when things don't happen in your timetable. You keep praying. That's that persistence that we need to have. God knows how to give good things to us. And that's what he's interested in doing. James says, you lust and you have not, you kill and desire to have and you cannot obtain. You fight and you war, yet you have not because you ask not. Well, here's another one of our problems. You see, we don't even ask God for the things that we need. God wants us to ask. Not to consume it upon our lusts. He wants us to ask so that his will is done in the process of things. 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15 says, And this is the confidence that we have of him if we ask anything according to his will. You know, sometimes discerning the will of God takes time. E even in good requests, even in requests that seem completely within the, in line, sometimes we don't understand even the timing of God. We want God to save somebody. We want God to change somebody. But not just immediately so that they're not convinced and they go right back into the very moral uh, slough that they were in before. Sometimes God leaves us in our places of, he leaves us in the hog pen long enough to rest to realize that we don't want hog pens anymore. You know, not everybody that goes to the hog pen is convinced right away that the hog pen's not good. Sometimes people have to be in the hog pen for a while when they finally get tired of the hog pen and finally say, you know, here I am in the pig pen. And my father's servants have it better than that. He had to come to that conclusion before he was ready to go back to his father. Don't you know that father wanted him back right away? I mean, wouldn't you as a father want your kid back right away? Would you want your kid to be out in the hog pen of sin? Would you want him to be experiencing all the things that can go wrong in a person's life? Get on drugs, have illicit affairs and immoral relationships and their life falling apart and into jail, out of jail. Would you want to see that happen to your kid? You said no. But God knows how many trips to the jail and how many trips to the hog pen and how many situations we need to go through before we finally come to the, ourselves and realize, this is not what I want. That's what we need to come to. Uh, somebody was telling me just recently, somebody that Roscoe knew, who was trying to tell me that? Somebody thought, 
Roscoe knew somebody who, when he was a young man, Roscoe brought him on a bus to church years ago. And the kid got away from the Lord. Ended up in all kinds of sin, all kinds of problems, stuff like that. In jail, bad relationships, broken marriage, things were falling apart. The guy finally said to his wife, you know, I need, we, we don't need to keep doing this. We don't need to keep living this way. I know there's a better way. And the guy turned to God, and he's, in fa he's faithfully serving God today because of the fact he finally came to his senses. And now he's serving God because he finally came to his senses. What's better? That a person flounders all their life or, 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 or lives on, in, a, in a way that is superficial or that they get some rough bumps and they make some poor choices and finally realize this is not what it's all about. And then for the last, who knows, maybe 10, 15 years of their life, they just get on fire for God and they don't walk away. Is it better to be consigned to mediocrity and, and uselessness for, for 60 years? Or would it be better to experience failure and disappointment for maybe half of that time to finally get on board and be convinced that God's way is the right way and not turn from it? Which would you rather for your kid? You say, well, what I'd rather than ever gone through all, any of that. Well, yeah. I think all of us would, real, you know. But in the real world, it doesn't necessarily work that way. Sometimes it takes people some pretty hard knocks to be convinced that God's way is the right way. But if they get convinced, if they finally turn around, and then they serve God, and they never turn back, well, then that's what you want to see. Not all of us. I don't want anybody to go into the dregs of sin. I don't want anybody to experience that kind of hardship. But I'd rather them experience hardship and get right and stay right than experience mediocrity and never do anything and stay in vanity and uselessness all the days of their life. And I know it's hard when you see your loved one go through stuff like that. But none of us are perfect. George Mueller said this concerning everything, and we're talking about prayer is God's way of attaining things. Concerning everything, we have to pray. Not simply when great troubles come, when the house is on fire. Obviously, we know it's time to pray then. Or a beloved wife is at the point of death. Obviously, we're on our knees then. Or our dear children are laid down in sickness. We know it's definitely time to pray then. He says, not simply at such times, but also in little things. Little things. From the very early morning, let us make everything a matter of prayer, and let it be so throughout the day and throughout our whole life. God wants us to pray about the little things as well as the big things. God wants us to be involved, wants to be involved in everything. Thing in our lives, not just the big things of our life. So let's let God get involved in everything, not just the big things 
because he wants to and he can change those things. Prayer can transform a worried heart into a peace-filled heart. You know the verse, be careful for nothing, but in what? Everything. By what? Prayer. And what? With what? Let your what? Be made known to whom? Then what happens? Verse number seven. And the what? Of God, which does what? I mean, you can't even explain this peace. The peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep, that means guard, that means protect, your hearts. You see, folks, we need the peace of God. Amen? We can worry about a lot of things. How many of you ever rolled around in your bed at night because you worried about something? How many of you ever did that? Okay, yeah. Couldn't sleep. Because you're just taking things and you're mulling over in your mind to think about all the bad things could be. You know, you get that little pain in your side and you go, uh-oh. What's that? I hadn't felt that before. wonder if I got cancer. So, Pastor, you don't think stuff. So, you, do you think things like that? How come I got this? What's, what's, how come most of my jaws hurt? What's going on here? You know? Well, I got this ache over here. What's going on here? And all of a sudden, you're worrying. You're thinking, Lord, help this go away. It doesn't. So we stay awake <coughs> for hours, rolling, trying to be quiet so you don't wake your wife up, you know? Well, what if? And you know what? The older you get, the more those little aches and pains show up. And the more you start thinking <coughs> silly things like that. Well, you get bad news. And you're thinking about all the implications of what are going to take place because of what happened to your daughter or your son or, your, or somebody that you love very dearly. And so you don't go right to sleep. You stay awake. And you worry. And you mold over in your mind. You know, you know what worry is, don't you? It's actually negative meditation. You, you are really exercising meditation, but in a negative fashion is that you're mulling it over and over and over in your mind. That's what you're supposed to do with the truth of the word. But what we're doing is with the problems of our life. And so you're letting it go around and around and around. You see, that's what, that's what happens. Except it's negative. What we need to do is we need to turn those things into prayers. And I think all of us have been or will be tested in this very area. You get a bad report from the doctor and you worry. You got a question mark and you worry. And yet we need to turn those things into prayers. Be careful for nothing. It's very easy to worry about things. We're very human in that regard. Isaiah 26 3 says, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. Why? Because he trusteth in thee. We, we converse with God. We trust God. We tell God we're trusting Him. Our mind is stayed. Stayed upon Jehovah. Hearts are fully blessed. Finding as He promised. Perfect peace and rest. That's the punchline to that wonderful song. That's how it all happens. It happens as we're stayed. Our hearts and minds are parked upon God and His ability either to heal or take care of our situation 
Lord, to give us the grace that we need to go through it and the strength that we need to go through it. Folks, it comes through dialogue with God. It comes, to, it comes through prayer. You spending time with God and talking with God. Um, prayer can help you and others maintain a godly focus. That's an important thing. Luke chapter 21, verse 34 through 36 says, and Take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with suffering and drunkenness and the cares of this life. And so that day come upon you unawares. Now we know this is talking about in times when this is very likely to happen to people. For as a snare shall it come on all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch ye therefore and pray always that ye may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and stand before the Son of Man. So in order for us to keep a godly focus, we need to watch and we need to pray. In the toughest of times, and believe me, during the time of that tribulation time, it's going to be a pretty tough time. People will be saved during that time. They'll have some pretty tough things to go through. But it applies for us just as well today. If you want to maintain a godly focus, you need to pray. Now, there's a couple passages here. One is in Colossians chapter 1, verses 9-14. through 14. Well, Paul prayed. Now, this first passage here is talking about you had taking heed to yourselves, that you maintain a godly focus yourself when those difficult times come. But Paul prayed for his believers. Listen to Paul's prayer for the Colossians in Colossians chapter 1, verse 9 through 14. For this cause we also, since we heard that the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. Now here's Paul praying for the Colossian believers. Listen to what he prays for them. And to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power, and unto all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness. Wow, what a prayer for somebody to pray for you giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. That's what Paul prayed for the believers at Colossae. That's how he prayed so that they would maintain a godly focus in their ministry. You should take that passage right there, break it down into its components, and pray those prayers, pray those components for people that you want to see maintain a godly focus. When I saw that verse a long time ago, I took its components and I put them in my prayer list because I wanted those for me. And I also put those under some of the people that I prayed for, I put that by their name that they would do some of these things, that God would do some of these things to them and for them. I have scriptural foundation for praying these because Paul prayed this for his believers, so I can pray this for anybody else. 
I can pray it for me. I can pray it for you. I can pray for my wife. I can pray for my kids. I can pray for my grandkids. This gives me scriptural foundation to pray these prayers. i got biblical grounds. I'm praying according to His will when I'm praying for you to be strengthened with all might by His Spirit in your inner man. I have biblical grounds when I pray a prayer like, God, I pray that they would walk worthy of you, pleasing you in all things. And all these different components of this prayer. I have scriptural standing when I pray these prayers for somebody. Philippians chapter 1 verses 9 through 11 says, And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and all judgment. I have scriptural foundation when I pray for you, Lord. Help so-and-so, help their love to abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. And it says, it goes on to say, that they may approve, that means that they may discern the things that are excellent. What a wonderful thing to pray for our young people, that they may approve or discern the things that are excellent because things are coming at them right now that are less than excellent. That they may be sincere without offense until the day of Christ. That they may be filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Listen to those components. These are the kind of things that we can pray so that people maintain a godly focus. Parents, get this list from Paul. Get this list from the, test, from the scriptures and pray this for your kids. I have many of these things listed by the names of my kids when I pray for them. That's why I write them down on a list because I can't always remember everything that the scripture says I should pray for them. So if I write them down, it reminds me of the things that are important to pray for them so that I can ask God to do what he said he wants to do. I've got a biblical foundation for these things. And I gave you the two verses, right? The two passages. And there's others, obviously. And number last... Prayer is the means to obtain the fullness of joy. John chapter 16, verse 22. Hitherto have ye asked nothing in my name. Ask, and ye shall receive that. That means in order that your joy might be what? Full. You know what? You know when I see people's believers' eyes light up when God answers specific prayers for them. When somebody says, I prayed that God would do thus and so, and he did it. It's almost like the joy of the Lord just comes over their entire countenance because of the fact that what they prayed for, God came through for them. God wants to give you the fullness of joy, and so many times you're going to find that the fullness of joy is in direct relationship to what God does and is doing in and through you in your life. We try to get the fullness of joy at Six Flags. <laughs> Just not going to do that. You're going to spend too much money. You're going to be miserable when you get home. <laughs> or dizzy or throw up or something like that, you know. No, you're not going to get the fullness of joy at Six Flags. Or Disney World. That's right. It costs more than six flags. But, uh, no, you, but I'll tell you what, you start seeing God answer your prayers, and you, see, you start seeing God at work personally, individually, so that you can say, that, you know, God did that. That was God. 
I want to tell you something. It will light up your life, spiritually speaking. It will show on your countenance. God did this for us. Isn't that neat? Yeah. And, and that's what you want. You want this kind of joy. Because this kind of joy is real and it lasts forever. Because see, not only are you experiencing it now, but you see, God's got stuff for you in heaven that you're actually, it's, you, it, there's treasures in heaven that you are going to have as a result of praying according to God's will, receiving it, and consequently, you have a joy that's not going to just last for this earthly existence. You have a joy that's going to last forevermore. You pray for somebody to get saved. You pray for somebody's life to be changed. And you see their life change and their, and their life take on a whole different uh, a way of living. And then they die and they go to heaven and you're to heaven with them and forevermore you're in the eternal glories of God and realize that because you prayed for that person, you cared for that person, that their life is forever changed. You, you, that's something you're never going to get over. I mean, just, just think about it, walking down Hallelujah Boulevard, you know what I mean? A and seeing somebody that God gave you the privilege of witnessing to. And now they're there. And they say, hey, thanks. Remember that tract you gave me that day? I'm here because God used you. Who knows? Maybe that wrong phone call that you think was a wrong phone call Maybe that wrong phone call might just do something for that person. I told you about the phone call that we got that one time that led us to some people that needed the Lord. Neither one dialed the other, and yet God put the two together, and four people got saved as a result of it. You know, God's able to do some amazing things. And when God does, I guarantee you, when I came back from that little meeting with those two couples sitting there at their driveway and they got saved, buddy, I had fullness of joy. I was one happy camper. And the happiness that I experienced was the happiness from God. He orchestrated that. I didn't go out there looking for it. I was just walking down the hallway and somebody says, hey, you need to go and check this thing out. Hallelujah. I got to. And as a result, I had to be a part of something very, very precious and something eternal. And that is so cool. And so, you want fullness of joy? Prayer will do it. Prayer is a means to obtain fullness of joy. Psalm 1611 says, Thou wilt show me the path of life. Don't take that word life lightly. He's talking about the real thing. Okay? People say, get a life. You just tell them, I got it. I got it. You need to get the life I got. I got it. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Now, the right hand of God is the place where Jesus sits. And you know what Jesus spends his day doing? Interceding for us. Isn't that interesting? At the right hand is fullness of joy. Jesus is on the right hand of the Father, interceding for the saints. I think he's happy. And I think God wants us to be have the joy of the Lord as our strength and be happy in the Lord too. Amen? Amen. All right. So I review and we're, and we're ready to go. Why is it so important to pray? What does it say? Clearly commanded in the Bible. Why is it important to pray? Why? 
Because there is a devil. He's real. Why is it important to pray? All right, Jesus thought it was important. We should too. Why is it important to pray? God's left it there for us to see. Godly men did it. We should too. Why is it important to pray? That's right. We have history. History, history helps us out here. Okay? And then tonight we talked about why is it important to pray? Well, number six was, ta-da, advancing the work of God. Secondly, or seventhly, <laughs> next, attaining things. Yeah, you know, there's things we need, and God wants to give them to us. And then, sound like y'all talking in tongues out there. All right. What else? <laughs> Somebody needs to translate this thing. <laughs> Prayers and means to obtain fullness of joy. Folks, if you get nothing else from this, here's what you need to get. Pray more. Pray more. And if you got that, pray always. Pray about everything. You just keep on praying. Don't give up. Just keep on praying. And let God use you. Because the work of God goes forward far more on our knees than on our feet. Lord, I pray that you help us. Um, what we see from the scriptures, we see from the history, we see from all these things that we've talked about tonight, and as much more we could talk about, that you are very interested in our prayers. And you made it so that we can come boldly to the throne of grace so that we may obtain mercy, find grace to help in our times of need. And not only our times, but the times of others' needs, too, that we can bring these before you and, and, and be a participant in the work of God here in our work in our day and time. So, Lord, help us. Help us not just to take this and just catalog it as another message we heard, but I, I trust we would really make some very positive differences in our prayer life as a result of what we know. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.